certainly is good to be with all of you today to worship God in spirit and in truth. There's a reason why I decided to preach on this passage, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But may I just say by way of an introduction, I think that God's people and really the world is living in unprecedented times. There are things that happen around us that have never happened in my lifetime, and I realize that. We have a global pandemic that is ever before us and ever present. We have family members that have been infected with this virus. We've known people that have actually passed away from this virus, or at least we've known of people that have. And really, there are two great extremes when it comes to discussion of this. I've even heard conspiracy theorists say that it was a way that another country sent it to us to lower population so they can get a stronghold over us and we would no longer be a world power. I've actually heard many things and many different things that people say as a result of the pandemic that is before us. On the other end of the spectrum, some people think it's absolutely nothing and we're making too big of a deal about it. You know, I think in between perhaps is the truth. It is real. It is a real virus. It is a real pandemic. But it's not the end of the world and it will not be the end of God's people. If you think about all the negative things that are around us, it really causes us to be depressed. In fact, the other day, you know, our iPhones give us little excerpts or news flashes when something happens. And uh, just the other day, all of a sudden, there goes my phone. I looked at it. And, oh, there were people that actually stormed the Capitol and did horrible, horrible things. I am not a military strategist. I am not like King David, a brilliant mind and military strategist. I don't know anything about all that. But I do know this, that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's depressing when I look out into our country, a country that I have loved all of my life, and I've enjoyed living in the land of the free and living here in this country. I, always, I kind of think that perhaps I'm a patriotic person. Uh, absolutely. And I appreciate especially those that have died so that we can have freedom. I appreciate that very much. But you know, when you think about all of that in our country, and now you have citizens of the country rising up against itself. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So why in the world did I decide to preach on this passage? I'm going to tell you why I decided to preach on this passage. I decided to preach on this passage because I needed it. I needed it. Where is that going to leave God's people? If all of these things happen and all the bad things that sometimes people think are going to happen, what about God's people? What are we going to be? I'm going to tell you what we're going to be. If we're faithful, we're going to be more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Our text is found in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 37, Paul said this, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in us in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, from a context perspective, 
the Apostle Paul writing to the church there at Rome, and he also is writing to us through those words. But Paul was writing to a congregation that knew beyond all others what a conqueror was. They saw triumphs. They saw captives. They saw the treasure. They saw foreign kings in chains. They saw generals receiving adoration. And in the wake of all of that, in the wake of the victory, the victorious side was a broken, subjugated people. To those who knew conquerors, he invited to be more than conquerors. And I think Paul was telling them that through various onslaughts of their enemies, Christians gain a victory that's more than a victory if they remain faithful. One commentator wrote this, and I thought I would share it with you. He said, and I quote, The Christian's character strengthens, and his favor with God increases with each successful battle against the worst that can be brought against him by the world, by the flesh, or by the devil. I thought they were rather encouraging thoughts. But the question is this, though. How can we be more than conquerors? Well, I'm going to give five practical things, and this is not an exhaustive study in this short little sermon, but these are five things that, five concepts that we can apply, that we can know, that we can be more than conquerors one day. Number one, very important, we've got to breach the wall of sin. I appreciated so very much Brother Carl's remarks at the table, and Jesus taking away sin and forgiveness, and he's right. But think about it this way. The reason that man needs forgiveness is because when sin was brought into the world, man's greatest problem was sin, and there's a barrier or there's a wall between us and God that separates us, and that is sin. Have you ever stopped to consider why God hates sin so much? Now, this is beyond the obvious that God is pure and God is perfect and all of that, but why does God hate sin so much? God hates sin, one of the reasons, no doubt, is because sin is the only thing that will keep man away from him for eternity. The only thing that separates man from God is sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, beginning there in verse 1, Isaiah said this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. You know, sometimes we think, especially when we're younger perhaps, maybe we rebel against what we've been taught. Sometimes we rebel against things that are right and correct. And sometimes we do that when we're younger. Sometimes we do that when we're older. And sometimes we think we're just resisting, I don't know, the rules or whatever. But think about it this way because this is true. When we sin, we're not resisting any list of rules or codes out there. When we sin, we sin against one thing, one being, and that's God. David said this. David understood that. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. When we sin, we violate the relationship that we have with God the Father. If I'm going to be victorious, though, one day, if I'm going to be more than a conqueror, I have to breach the wall of sin. Man's greatest problem was sin. Therefore, man's greatest need was forgiveness, as Carl pointed out. 
We will never be victorious in the end unless sin is conquered. Now, this begins with forgiveness. I'm going to say some things about forgiveness. Okay? First, let me say this. I can't imagine life without forgiveness. I can't imagine going my life without forgiveness. I also can't imagine going in my life and asking somebody to forgive me for something and them saying no or not forgiving me, perhaps a loved one or whatever it might be. Uh, I can't even imagine that. But especially, I can't imagine not being forgiven by God. It all begins with forgiveness because man is not perfect and man does sin. So we need forgiveness. But there's a difference between, please get this, unconditional love and conditional forgiveness. Now, we don't forgive each other conditionally, but God does. Now, stay with me. I'm not, I'm not saying what you might think I'm saying. It is conditional upon what? It's conditional upon this. In Matthew chapter 28, it begins with forgiveness. Price was paid, as Carl pointed out. But in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, Jesus says, All power or all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, or the New King James says, the end of the age. So here we find, if I'm going to be forgiven, I have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a follower of him. That's what I have to be. In Mark's account of the Great Commission, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So I need to be a disciple. How am I a disciple? When I believe and I am baptized for the remission of sins. But I have to talk about the word belief very briefly. There's a lot of people that believe in the concept that there is a God in heaven and his son died on the cross. There's a lot of people that believe in those facts. But belief of the Bible, as you've heard me say many times over the years, belief in the Bible is not simple acceptation of fact. Belief of the Bible has the force to obey. So if I want the forgiveness of my sins, I have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? When I believe having the force to obey and I'm baptized for the remission of sins. One more passage though. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus had already died. He was buried. He rose on the third day and he spends 40 days with his disciples. And this is what he said in Luke 24. He said, repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Let's put the whole thing together. If I want forgiveness of my sins, it comes with repentance. Remission of sins is always connected to repentance. Now, let me talk about God's conditional forgiveness for someone that is a member of the Lord's church, has been baptized for the remission of sins. What's the condition? 
In the epistle of John, John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what's the condition of God forgiving me my sins? I got to confess my sins to who? To him. And that is confession with godly sorrow or repentance. You know, confession without repentance is meaningless. I got to make a change. So putting this all together, if I want to breach the wall of sin, I need to be forgiven. If I need to be forgiven, I need to be a disciple. How am I when I believe and I'm baptized and when I repent and I can have remission of sins? But we have to keep sin out of our life, folks, because sin does separate. Number two, though. To be more than conquerors, not only do I need to breach the wall of sin, but I need to wield or I need to use the very best weapons. Now, in a time when people are talking about battles and perhaps we might go to war and all these things, I want to talk about mighty weapons. I want to talk about the greatest weapons for the child of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So these are the weapons. We don't fight against the world. We don't fight against fresh flesh and blood. We don't do that. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. But not only that, we need some protection, don't we? And the Bible talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Let me notice these passages with you. Beginning there in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, though, taking the shield of faith, which, is, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I want to talk about two things here. And by the way, everything I just said except the last thing, they are defensive weaponry. They are protection. The only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. More on that in just a minute. But I want to make a point here about the shield of faith. got an email from a buddy of mine the other day. He's talking about all the things that are going on in our country and in the world and this and that. He said, you know what? We just need to have more faith. And he's right. If we're having trouble handling or worried about things that are happening around us, we need to increase our faith. One of the greatest things Jesus said about faith, I love this. Jesus said this about faith. He said you have to have the faith of a mustard seed. He told his disciples that. And having the faith of the mustard seed is not mean, doesn't mean that it's just small. It means this. It starts off small, but it grows to greatness. Perhaps we're having trouble with the worries of life because we have not increased our faith. 
It's not grown to greatness. And we look in our own eye, our human eye, and we look around us, and we get really worried about what's happening out there. What about your faith? What about increasing your faith? What about having faith of a mustard seed? What about those things? Notice what he says here. Paul says, the shield of faith which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let's take this phrase, shield of faith, and let's talk about what it was back then. The literal shield was a shield that the army used. And by the way, they would have, I'm told, they'd have a group that went forward behind the troops that were behind them. The first regiment would go. And they would have, they would be behind the shield. And those shields weren't just some handheld thing. Those shields actually went down almost all the way to the ground. And they would get behind the shield. They had the armor on, but they'd get behind the shield like this. And they would walk toward the enemy in this way, hiding themselves behind the shield. So when the darts would come their way, it would ricochet off the shield. That's number one. Number two. I think this is very powerful. I heard this a long time ago. I think I heard it from Brian Elliott. Many years ago, been using it ever since. When somebody went into battle and had the shield, there was no protection from behind. The people that were behind, as long as you pressed forward, were on your side. But if you turned tail and ran away or quit, there was nothing that protected you from behind. And if the fiery darts of the enemy would come, you would die. And that's true when it comes to the child of God spiritually. You only are protected by the, field of, by the shield of faith if you're in the fight and you're moving forward. You can't turn tail and you can't quit if you want that kind of protection. The shield of faith. What about the sword of the spirit? The sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon that we have, and that is the word of God. Somebody might say this. Well, how powerful is that? How powerful is that? Well, the Bible tells me it is piercing. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful uh, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, one day, if we're going to be more than conquerors, we have to do the following. Breach the wall of sin. Use the best weapon. And number three, and I know this is not popular, we got to follow orders. If we're in the Lord's army and the battle is the Lord's, we have to listen to the Lord. He is our captain, in fact. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom all are, are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings he is our captain and folks only the only the obedient are victorious hebrews 5 8 and 9 though he were a son yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered and having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all those that obey him but next if you're in a battle folks you gotta fight I'm not talking about physically fighting. And I'm not talking about all the verbal battles that are going on in the world either. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the kind of fight that the child of God must fight. 
Well, first of all, what do you fight for? You have to fight for the richest treasure. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The very next verse says, What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, we're in a fight with the devil for our soul. Got to fight. And what does it profit a man if I gain the whole world but I lost my own soul? So we have to fight for the richest treasure. What's the richest treasure? The rich of tre richest treasure is the crown of life. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now notice, I've heard this illustrated like this. Ten days is a figurative phrase and it is. It wasn't a literal ten days. But it's talking about or it's referring to a short amount of time. And with regards to eternity, 10 days is nothing. I could do anything for 10 days, probably. I know it's going to be over soon. But Jesus was talking to people that were far more persecuted than you and I ever will be. He was talking to the persecuted church, one of the seven churches of Asia, the one in Smyrna. They were about to lose their life. And what he was telling them through John the Revelator, he was telling them in this letter, be faithful unto death. You know, the context there does not necessarily mean be faithful all the days of your life until you die, although that's implied. The context here is with regards to what he was speaking of. Be faithful even if it means your death. And I will give you what? Crown of life. He was telling them to fight for that. What kind of fight is it, though? What kind of fight is it? 1 Timothy 6 and 12. It's the good fight of faith. Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What else? Folks, we got to do this according to Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. We have to contend for the faith. we got to stand for the truth and stand for what's right. So what are we fighting for? Let's talk about that quickly in summary. What are we fighting for? We're fighting for the richest treasure. What's the richest treasure? It's the crown of life. What kind of fight is it? It's the good fight of faith. And when we fight the good fight of faith, guess what we get to do? Lay hold of eternal life. And we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. That's our fight. That's our battle. We've been given the armor. We've been given the weapon. And we can live and we can fight that fight. But finally, last point. And I think this is so important. Because if your eye is not single... And you're not focused on the prize. It's easy to be derailed. If you're looking at other peripheral things and you lose sight of things, you can be derailed and you can get off track. So here's our final point. Point number five. You got to see the victory. You got to see the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, the word steadfastly means firm and unwavering. What is the child of God to do? He needs to see the victory. How are you going to do it? Be firm and unwavering. Be immovable. And notice this. Abounding in the work of the Lord. The word abounding means to overdo it. You ever have people say you're overdoing it? And there's a lot of things in life that we're overdoing. You can actually do things that are good but overdo them. Like you can overdo it when it comes to exercise. You can, they call that overtraining. You're overdoing it, and that's not good. The same phraseology is used in a positive sense here. Abounding means to literally overdo it in the work of the Lord. Above and beyond. Meaning this, no matter how hard you try, no matter all that you do, it's not too much. Abounding in the work of the Lord. you got to see the prize. you got to see the victory. Last passage, Revelation 21, verses 4 and verse 7. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You see, in the wake of the Lord's army is sin and death, but up ahead is triumph. I think it's important that we remember that we win. As one man said one time, I read the book of Revelation and we win. But finally, in conclusion, you know, the Bible pictures life in terms of the following. And you know, every one of these things are very difficult. The life that we are living is described with great intensity. It's described as a race that we're competing for. It's described as a fight that we must get in. And it's a battle. And it's all the days of our life and it doesn't let up. That's how it's described. So don't feel bad if your life is difficult. Or you're going and trying to be a Christian but all these things are flying at you and it's difficult. Don't feel bad. The Bible says it's going to be difficult. And I'll tell you this too. When you become a child of God, there's nothing in the word of God that says you're going to have an easier life or an easier time of it. All it says is you'll have a better life after this life. And while you're in this life, God will never leave your side if you won't leave him. That's all that we're promised. How are we going to be more than conquerors if we remain faithful? Breach the wall of sin. Use the best weapons. Put on the whole armor of God. Follow orders from our leader. That's Jesus Christ. Let's fight the good fight of faith. And lay hold on eternal life. And folks, you got to see the victory. you got to keep your eye on the prize. Will you be more than conquerors one day? Imagine this as I say finally. We're at the end and we're all done in. And you've lived your life and you've gone through the battles of life. And you get to the end, and you're victorious. And the victory that you've wanted all of your life is finally before you. And you hear the precious words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. How wonderful that will be, regardless of the price we had to pay in our life.
Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches ever, said this about being victorious. He said this, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment, that moment when he's given his whole heart for a good cause and he lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. I picture that as the child of God. Spend it all, leave it all, leave it on the field, like they say. And one day, hear those precious words, enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. Folks, not only will we be conquerors, we'll be more than conquerors if we're faithful. I'm finished. Thank you for your kind listening today and what we had to discuss. And I hope something was helpful to you in some way. I know that these were things that I needed to hear, so I wrote this little sermon for that purpose. Hope it was beneficial to you as well. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present. Maybe you're here today. You're not a child of God. You can be and you need to be. Come believing in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess his name as the son of God and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins. You need forgiveness. That's your greatest need. And you can be forgiven and have remission of sins today. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.